If you asked, you know, what are the five greatest brands in the world? If you asked, you went out and you asked professionals this question, you know, I think Nike would be on everybody's list, Coca-Cola would be on everybody's list, Disney would be on everybody's list, and Apple would be on everybody's list. This is Tattoos Not Brands, a podcast that explores how we as marketers can give meaning to our products and services without conforming ourselves to a rigid set of rules or copying the status quo. Every episode, we're talking to different marketing experts to understand the choice of a tattoo or the imposition of a brand. Let's get started. Today, on this episode of Tattoos Not Brands, we wanted to start by giving you some background on what exactly we'll be discussing on the show. So Clint, why did you decide to start the show? Tell us about not only Tattoos Not Brands, the show, the podcast, but also why you wrote the book. Absolutely. So I started writing this book and thinking about this type of approach to marketing around 10 years ago. It came to me because I just heard clients and colleagues and people in the industry only referring to themselves as having a brand, building a brand, growing a brand. And I just got to thinking about the reality of what that means and the literal definition of what a brand is. It's a mark burned on the skin generally of an animal to denote ownership. And that that just occurred to me as perhaps there's another way to use language and use metaphors to explain what we're trying to do when we're building a business and striving to communicate well with our customers. So I've been a marketer for around 30 years and kind of seen it all in terms of clients and organizations and businesses that are, you know, striving to communicate well with their customers. And it occurred to me that referring to yourself as a brand or your company as a brand is a little one-dimensional, to say the least. And the idea of branding comes from the cattle industry, where, as you can imagine, a extremely hot piece of iron is burned on the skin of an animal to denote who owns it. That in itself is is something that probably can be more artfully communicated. And I think the tattoo analogy represents choice, it represents narrative, it represents a personal nature of how companies and organizations should think about how, how to best represent themselves. So I, about 10 years ago, put pen to paper, as they say, and started to bang this thing out. And here we are, 2022, lots happened. And I've been able to get to a point where I feel confident in, in communicating this and sharing it with the world. And luckily, I have you to help me and help our listeners express this really well. Yeah, I love that. I love the passion. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this journey with you and co-host Tattoos Not Brands. Oh, my pleasure. I absolutely love the concept when you shared it with me. And as you know, I've been advising a variety of startups to mid and large size companies for the last couple of decades, uh, mainly around business development and brand management and brand direction. And as a storyteller with a background in clinical psychology, I love bringing these aspects into the consulting that I do for my clients. And the passion that you have in helping uniquely position companies to really tell their story in a way that resonates with their customers, I think is powerful. So I think it's, it's really fresh and it's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. And your background in psychology in our work in the past has always been so valuable. And it's so important here because really that's what we're talking about, how to understand human behavior as it pertains to choices that humans make when they buy things or when they choose one thing over the other. So very excited to get this going and delve into the brain and the very weird and wonderful human being. <laughs> well, let's delve. Let's, let's delve into this. <laughs> we sat down with Paul Cohen, CMO at FreshBooks, to actually discuss this very thing. For those of you that may not be familiar, FreshBooks is an online financial management software, which is uniquely positioned for small businesses. Let's hear what he has to say. A brand, the way that I kind of look at brand, it's really kind of our set of guiding principles and ways that help define the way the company should behave. We set strategies, which are the actions and experiences that we create for our customers. But really, at the end of it all, like these are all inputs, but the output is what is in the minds of our customers or in the, the consumers that we're trying to attract to us. So brands are never built by marketing or by a company. The brands are built by within the heads of the people that interact with them. Let's hear from Deborah Singer, CMO of Girls Who Code. Deborah oversees marketing, advocacy campaigns, and communications teams, in addition to the organization's fundraising efforts. I'm Deborah Singer. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Girls Who Code. I am not a nonprofit person. I came to Girls Who Code from the tech industry. I started my career at Google and really saw the gender gap in tech firsthand when I was there. I remember very distinctly a time that early in my tenure when I got off elevator on the wrong floor and it was the engineering floor and it was just rows and rows of men and there were no women. And I took the elevator back to my desk and was just kind of, it was the first time that I, the gender gap in tech was so literally staring me in the face. And so it's a problem that I've long been aware of, but it wasn't until I met the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code that I really realized it was a, a problem I wanted to work on and that I was deeply passionate about. And it was partly because Reshma, our CEO, was running Girls Who Code a lot more like a startup, like a tech company, which is where I came from, than a traditional nonprofit. And by that, I mean, it was moving with a ton of urgency and speed. It had a bias towards trying new things and um, normalizing failure is a part of innovation. And it valued brand. One of the things that really attracted me to Girls Who Code was the founder always had this vision that Girls Who Code was never going to be able to meet the problem directly, that we couldn't possibly serve and teach enough girls to code to solve the gender gap in tech. The problem was too big. And so we were always going to have to do systems change. We were always going to have to reach girls indirectly with our brand, with marketing programs, with content that shifts hearts and minds, that goes beyond just kind of teaching a girl to code. And that was always a really interesting problem to me as a marketer, something that really sets girls who code apart from other nonprofits. We actually have a large marketing team and commit to some pretty, pretty big relative to our size marketing campaigns um, than I think most nonprofits do. And so that's always been foundational to who Girls Who Code is, and it's what's kept me there for five years. We have more from Paul and how brands evolved into what we recognize today. The 50s and 60s, which was like the golden era of advertising, destroyed what branding actually meant. 
And it's like, we can blame the CPGs for that because they're the ones who flooded the market with all these products and tried to build brands around them. And so every white got whiter and, and all of the different types of things that the different folks in that space were talking about. They're the ones who turn branding into a experience of communications and of, of marketing communications, as opposed to it being about the company's ethos and reason for being and why they exist in the world. Where brands become magnetic and they start self-sustaining is, I think, when they go that to, from that transition from being something that's superficial to something that has more staying power and is meaningful to the customer. I think there's, like, we often talk about virality. And, you know, if you think about virality in the sense of just how many people actually refer and, and talk about your product or your brand and say that it's something that you should be exploring, then that's where kind of, I think, is that transition point. Not virality in the sense of how many people shared a Facebook post or an Instagram thing, but it's really about like pure product recommendation. So Clint, do you agree with what Paul's saying? Why or why not? Yeah, I agree with what Paul's saying. Paul's my kind of guy and thinking definitely along the same lines. I especially appreciate what he said about companies really can't create a brand. It's only customers that can create a brand based on their experience, the user experience that they have with that product or service, which as I write about, has to be thought of as how a customer feels before, during, and then especially after they consume or or experience the product or service. So to me, that's a real well-put statement about branding and business building. You know, I love how you mentioned it's not the brand that creates the brand, it's the customer that creates the brand. And I think that's empowering, especially for smaller companies, startups, and what we're calling tattoos, because it takes the pressure out of their hands where they are now forced to focus on what is that ethos? What is that thing that makes them so special and so unique that the customer resonates with that and wants to tell a friend and tell a friend and tell a friend? Clint, you know what time it is. It's time to play bot, brand or tattoo. Yes, it is. On each episode, we play this game to help us better decipher what a tattoo mindset actually looks like as opposed to that of a brand. Nova, are you ready to get started? Yes, I am, Clint. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, this sounds serious. All right. Who's first? First up, Kleenex. Yeah, ultimate brand. Everybody knows it. Everybody uses it. (laughs) I have to agree with you on that. Whenever you're using the word, the name of the brand as your object, (laughs) get me that Kleenex, and it replaces every other object that's the same, but even if it's a different brand name, I would say so. Hardly anyone says, oh, get me that puffs, right? <laughs> right, right. Maybe we should start that. We should start that. Okay. How about Apple? Apple is the quintessential brand, brand geniuses. I mean, you can't not see the symbol, the icon, and know exactly what it represents. And so I would say they're probably one of the most successful at creating a brand. Apple's an interesting one to me. I think it started as a tattoo and became a brand through all of the all of the reasons that define a brand. The amazing product, the amount of resources that are put behind the promotion, the advertising, the sales, as well as the user experience is extraordinary. I've always felt really well cared for in the retail experience as well as the online experience. So they have shown that tattoos can become brands in my view. I agree. 
And I love how you mentioned that they started off as a tattoo. I mean, they really focused on their customer and that niche of the creative community and made them so happy that they became super fans. And to your point earlier, it's the customer that creates the brand. So then the friend tells a friend, I tell my brother, my brother tells his neighbor, and now everyone has an apple. And then when you, and when you get one product, so genius again, and you start buying into the family of products, you become a part of the community. And so it becomes so much harder to leave the Apple ecosystem because you do feel part of this tribe. And so if a tattoo is able to create the super fan base where you now feel a part of a community, like emotionally attached, then then you've got it. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other point that I always consider in talking about Apple is market share of the smartphone global market. They have a tiny portion of that, but it feels like everybody has a an iPhone, maybe because we're I'm in New York City, you know, you're in major urban area. So our environment also speaks to that, right? And because what we see, perception is reality, but you know, the world mm-hmm. primarily has Android and PC phones and computers. That's right. That's that's so true because me being an Apple consumer, I would think the whole world has an Apple. Which is <laughs> like, wait, what? There's, mm-hmm. there's other products yeah. out there? Wait, what? <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I mean, that's psychology and chemistry, right? Right, right. Okay, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a tattoo. You know, they're not trying to do everything. They're focusing on areas where they can be at a high level of quality and service. And they're doing their own thing without trying to be ubiquitous. And they're not making the mistakes that many do. They're they're well positioned as a tattoo. Mm, Yeah. Okay, I've got one. New York City. New York, New York. (laughs) There you go. I mean, brand. (laughs) When I think of New York, when most people think of New York, you think of lights, you think of culture, you think of fashion, just you think of innovation. I mean, there's such a clear picture versus Hartford or New Haven. I'm just saying, right? Not that far down the road. And definitely those cities are not brands. So I... I mean, anytime I start singing, you know, it's going to be a brand. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, just, just the, all the things are happening to be the definition of a brand. So yeah, no disagreement for me there. Okay. Okay. How about Girls Who Code? Tattoo. I think it's a niche of a niche. It's speaking to the technology space, but not just the broad industry, but around a very specific skill set, which is coding. And a very specific customer base, which is young, well, girls, I guess say not women, but girls. So when you niche down that much and you really hone in on what is a eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old need to be successful at coding, I think it's very specific and that's a tattoo. Yeah, concur. I love the how clear the name is. I love how just confident and straightforward all the communications are. And it's it just feels so right on and intriguing, but it hasn't yet reached its its full potential, of course, because there's so much work to be done and there's so much ambition there. So I certainly hope it will become a a brand and resolve many things that are, you know, that are inequitable. Mm, Yes, I agree. And I'm going to throw a surprise one in there for you. We're going to round it out to six, Airbnb. Airbnb is, is a tattoo in my mind. Definitely 
category creating and simple but revolutionary and definitely game changing. But I think time will tell as to whether it's something that will be etched in our minds. It, it probably just in some ways like Girls Who Code, it needs more time so that it's at the level of Nike, Coca-Cola, Disney. It's, it certainly has the potential, but I think the market will speak to whether it's a uh, has staying power. Right. You know, I was going to say, is it on the verge of becoming a brand? Because I think within certain generations, it is etched in their mind, right? They're thinking Airbnb before they're thinking hotels. Yeah, but it's isn't it kind of similar to Apple where you, I, probably the majority of our listeners are in that camp. But how about in, I don't know, I was just talking to my friend in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Is that a, if you stop 10 people on the main street there, would they be able to explain that concept? I don't think so. I think half would. And that's halfway is not a brand. Mm, good point. Oh, I love that. Well, that's it, guys. That's it for bot, tat, a brand or a tattoo or a tattoo or brand. To summarize, FreshBooks, Airbnb, and Girls Who Code are tattoos. Kleenex, Apple, New York are clearly brands. And we're back. So a major point Paul mentioned is that to him, a brand becomes magnetic when it actually has meaning to the customer. But what happens if there is a disconnect between the brand and your messaging? Let's hear again from Paul as he shares that marketing messages need to be aligned with your core values and your customer needs. Long-term brands who we'd always think of as being like incredible value, like Coke, Nike, folks like this, but they're being more and more challenged these days because when you start to peel it back and you're like, wow, well, all Coke really is is sugary water and and they've got great distribution and a bottling business actually is the real value. Similarly, Nike just has supply chain efficiencies and great marketing. And like, how much of that is actually staying power and how much of that will remain? When if I want to have a very unique sports apparel business that's probably built all around me, that's like customized to my needs, like it starts to make brand loyalty very fleeting. The power of companies today is really, I mean, one thing that's often now more overlooked than ever is the customer in this equation. And Bezos is, is famous for being customer obsessed. I don't know if it's a good customer obsession or a bad one, but it's, he definitely has brought a huge amount of value. Like UX be damned. Everybody's using Amazon. <laughs> it's definitely not the prettiest yeah, site in the world, right. and, but they've really mastered the shopping cart and the purchase flow. But it's with all of this, it's like to actually remain customer obsessed is one of the hardest things that I've, I do on a day in a day out basis and making sure that we're just thinking of the pain points and thinking of the challenges that customers have and having sy systemic ways in which like the entire organization gets it. Because too often you just like, keep going back and removing yourself from it and never really understanding what the frontline experience is actually like or how people are actually using your product. And I think that's like the biggest piece. And that's where we always try to remind ourselves what's actually going on. So what are your thoughts on what Paul's saying? Yeah, Paul makes great points here. The main one for me is the patience that's required to build anything, let alone a brand or a tattoo. And this is something that I'm very happy to hear a CMO point out to his colleagues in his community. It becomes harder for a consultant or an agency to ask for patience, but it's such an important thing because nothing ever happens on the timeline that you have in your head. It has to be 
much longer, unfortunately, and usually full of twists and turns. So patience is an absolute virtue in business building. Yeah, I agree. But it also forces you, the CMO and the brand to be more authentic as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just the reality of the marketplace is its own animal and has to be respected as a true arbiter of how quickly you make progress and build momentum. And, you know, if your goal is to become a brand, to become ubiquitous, to become globally known, then you need to give yourself ample time. Absolutely. I mean, being building super fans does not come overnight. (laughs) So yeah, I love that patience. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem to be the norm. People want to blow up. They want to go viral, but it's not a business plan. Mm, So true. We turn again to Deborah Singer, CMO of Girls Who Code, for her insights about Google. It's a great guidepost in the sense that I would love to be as ubiquitous as Google. You know, one of the things I associate with Google is ubiquity. Although I think what's interesting and part of my career, I spent two years at Google in New York, and then I moved to Sydney, Australia and did comms Asia-wide. And what's really interesting about Google in markets like China and Japan is it's actually a challenger brand. It's not the primary kind of dominant search engine that we think of in the US. It's not as ubiquitous. It's actually behind. And that was really interesting to think about Google in a different way and think about how does Google create a wedge? Where is its kind of niche that it's going to serve and expand? You know, I think Google is still really figuring that out, like most Western technology brands in a market like China or Japan. And that was a really interesting experience as someone on the comm side to see what it looks like when an American brand is not, in fact, dominant and tries to actually market itself in a way that it doesn't really need to in the U.S. anymore. So, yes, I think in terms of ubiquity, Google is absolutely an influence. That said, I think that Google at this point, I think, feels like a utility for a lot of people and hasn't been as disruptive as I would like them to be on issues like diversity, equity, and inclusion. They've been an amazing technology leader, but on social issues, they really haven't lived up to, I think, their what their potential could be. And so it's not, I think, a guidepost that I use when it comes to leading on social issues and really kind of living values around diversity and inclusion, which is not to suggest that people there don't value the issue. I have several colleagues there who I know do, but it's not really foundational to the brand in a way that I think at Girls Who Code it is. Values being not fundamental to a brand is a reflection of what impact being a tattoo can have. Deborah has more to say about user experience. Context matters a lot for a brand and kind of requires a brand to be responsive. Girls Who Code has been around for almost a decade now. I'd say the first decade of our of our work, a decade ago, nobody was talking about diversity and inclusion. Nobody was really pointing to the gender gap in tech as an existential issue for not just the tech industry, but for our economy, for innovation. And now it's absolutely at the forefront of not only corporations as they think about their strategy, but I think this new administration of government, everyone recognizes this is a problem. 
And so I think your brand, once the kind of you have the shared awareness of a problem, your brand needs to shift towards holding those in power accountable to solving it. And so I, I see kind of the next generation of for the next decade, excuse me, of Girls Who Code's work to really be focused on taking this massive pipeline of women that we've taught. We've taught 300,000 Girls to Code. 80,000 of them are in college. They're majoring in computer science at 15 times the national average. The pipeline is there. And now it's on tech and every company that's hiring technical workers to hire them. And that's the fight. (laughs) And so I think our brand needs to shift from one that is kind of raising the alarm around this is a problem. We need to be paying attention to holding the industry accountable and saying the girls are there. Now we need you to hire and retain them. And in terms of user experience, Girls Who Code is interesting in that we have a lot of different users. So our our end user ultimately are girls. Middle and high school girls is really where we focus because that's where the greatest drop-off happens. But there are some really critical gatekeepers that we also market to, educators, parents. And then we're funded by corporates who are our customer. And so we think about user experience for each of those constituencies, whether it's what are the posters that girls in their class are seeing on their walls in the computer lab or virtually now that they're on Zoom to how do our corporate employees feel when they listen to our CEO speak and then come to our website to think about donating or getting involved. You have to think about how do all those touch points speak to what your brand is and what are you communicating in each of those points about your values. So to give you an example, we make sure that in that our clubs, we have thousands of clubs all over the country, have posters on their walls that show women in tech and speak to the rich history of women in computing. And I view that very much as brand, very much as core to the user experience. It's not teaching them to code, but it's shaping their experience and how they encounter girls who code and how they develop identity as a coder. Paul mentioned that brands are not created in a day. There's something that's created over time. Let's hear more from him. The only people who have ever said that they're going to create a great brand are people who work at ad agencies or brand agencies. Most people have started companies (laughs) because they want to build an amazing company that's solving a problem that the world has. And if they can solve that problem and it's a long-term problem and they can shift and pivot and do all those types of things, then, then they may create a brand, but it's an evolution that will take time. But you don't create a brand. A brand is created over a long period of time. That's it for the first episode of Tattoos, Not Brands. Deborah and Paul gave us a ton of great insights about what makes a brand versus what makes a tattoo. But the question still remains, as a company, do you need a brand? Do you need a brand? Well, I'm going to say no. You don't need a brand. Do you want to be a brand? Now, that's a different question. But do you need a brand? No. I mean, we in our game earlier, we saw some excellent examples of companies that are super successful tattoos, Airbnb, Girls Who Code, for example. Now, if they end up growing to a brand, great. But their success is not riding on them being a brand, in my opinion. No, I agree. You need a mindset that understands the strategic choice that you have to make as it pertains to who you want to be as a 
company, organization, person, and some patience, creativity, and understanding of psychology of the way things get established in, in people's minds, and especially the value of your customer in, in this whole equation. I agree. And I think if we just replace as a company, do you need a brand? Replace brand with, do you need super fans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yes, you need super fans because super fans are going to take you to becoming a brand. And so again, I'm going to go back to one of the earlier statements that you had echoed was that the company doesn't create the brand, the customer creates a brand. And so ask yourself as a company, do you need super fans? And then everything else will fall into place from there. Right. And you you need a user experience mindset that understands the beginning, middle, and end concept and work towards that being the guiding principle for how you set yourself up for success. I love that. So mindset, for me, that's that takeaway is mindset. Having the right mindset is what, what should be the goal. Yeah, I think so. That's a great place to start. Thank you for listening to Tattoos Not Brands, Marketing Outside the Lines, the podcast that explores how we can give meaning to our products and services without conforming ourselves to a rigid set of rules or copying the status quo. I'm Clint, your host. And I'm Nova, your other host. Make sure to tune in in two weeks for our next episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And thanks so much to our guests, Deborah Singer and Paul Cohen. See you next time.